Morning. Just messing with you. I got it back. <laughs> Welcome to Community Alliance Church. I'm telling you, now I know I've been in church a long time and certainly here for a long t- period of time, but Keith has made one of the most amazing transitions I've ever seen from someone who's doing youth ministry for 15 years, 15 plus years, and now doing adult ministry. He's done a phenomenal job, and we just want to show you some of the things that go on behind the scenes. That's the last one. Uh, as we've seen a lot over the last few weeks, if you've never heard of Alpha or have not belonged to Alpha or been at Alpha, that's one thing you're going to want to consider. I think one of the best things we have done the last year is to offer that class. And as you heard him say, it's so many different levels. It's phenomenal. So we want you to be a part of it. We want you to just see what God is doing here and be excited about that. Man, it was just so much fun to sing this morning. I remember those songs, and I listened to them, and I heard them, and I shared them, and sang them this morning, and celebrate what God has done throughout life and ministry, and some of those ones that we stand on in the middle of all the uncertainties of life. I went immediately back to my oldest daughter who went to Jerusalem University for an entire semester during her Naya college career, only to find out that shortly after she got there, another war broke out in the Middle East, and all kinds of things going on, and didn't have an opportunity to contact each other, and she called me one day from a payphone and uh, said, a lot of the students are leaving, but I really want to stay. We were up. It was really cool. We went up last night to one of the tall buildings, and we could see the missiles flying over to the Golan Heights. And I thought, what's the cool part about that? I'm not really sure <laughs> what it is. I said, don't you want to come home? And she said, well, I thought about it, and then I was reading Scripture last night. Some of the songs we sang here this morning verified it, and Scripture said... He who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. So I thought, if God's staying awake, I'm going to bed, and I'm not going to worry about it. You love it when your kids grasp and understand and then, of course, use Scripture to you and against you. You can't really argue that. (laughs) So just singing those songs this morning with incredible praise. A lot of things going on. I hope you did, as uh, David said, read your bulletin carefully. Ten minutes after the sermon is done today, family experience. In Kids Stuff Theater, it's an opportunity for those of you who have children in kindergarten to fifth grade to grow together, to learn together, to understand how to deepen your walk together as a family. Incredibly important that you do that. Movie Unplanned is in our area, in the Regent uh, Regal Theater, South Park on 356. So again, I've been sharing with you over the last few weeks to take advantage of that, and especially someone who's undecided uh, about abortion. It's against God's word, but it's somebody is undecided, help them. Through that. Good Friday service here at 7 o'clock. Here at 7 o'clock, we're going to share communion. We thought we'd do it this year on Good Friday. So uh, I'd love for you to come, and we're going to celebrate Easter on Easter Sunday morning, back to our original plan that we did a number of years ago, but we do every year at Easter, 8, 9, 30, and 11. So for those of you who love a sunrise service, it is going to be here at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, Easter celebration, children's ministry at 9, 30, and 11. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. Last Sunday morning, I mentioned through Roman, actually, this uh, little booklet here, How Can I Share My Faith Without an Argument? He mentioned it in here. I had a few people ask me afterwards. We've ordered a number of them. I have a couple here this morning, but we've ordered 25 more. And they will be on that rack outside when you see a lot of those tracks, a lot of those brochures about a church. You can take one of those. Now, remember, it is a resource. So there are things that you look at in here. You say, I don't think I'd do that. Other things that just give you some great ways to have conversations with people that you know are searching or looking for truth or want to know what the truth has to offer in the Word of God. And you want to be able to get into those conversations because you want them to find what you have found, right? i got to believe that we all want our friends to find what we have found in Jesus. 
friends or coworkers or family, whoever that may be. And this is just one of those tools to be able to do that. Without looking in your sermon notes this morning, if I were to ask you what one topic did Jesus address more than any other topic in all the New Testament during his three years of ministry, what would your answer be? What? Love? Money? What other answers? Health? Possessions? All right. Money. Wayne, you get the $2 here this morning. Money and possessions. The one thing he talks about probably more than... Give that back to me so I can have it for the next service too, by the way. (laughs) Money and... (coughs) I'm kidding. Have a cup of coffee on me. Money and possessions, money and or possessions, are the one topic he talked about more than any other topic. You'll see in your sermon notes, John MacArthur did some research and found that there are 500 verses on prayer, 500 on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on the subject of possessions or money. He spoke on that subject more than heaven and hell combined. So I got to believe if Jesus spent 16 out of 38 parables talking about it, and if he thought it was important enough to spend so much time on it, I think we should as well. Now, some of you are saying, or at least you've already thought, are you kidding me? A sermon on money. Churches always do that. And you know as well as I do, that's not true. But as soon as you heard it this morning, you thought, oh, my lands. We talked about hell last week and money this week. Where is this guy going? I just figured in one series on the life of Jesus, we'd deal with all the controversial subjects. So we talked about communion and the essence of that, we talked about hell last Sunday morning, this Sunday, money, and then we're done. Because then you got the Easter celebration. But it's that important. It's one of those things that you can't overlook. Now, it's not just about what I give or about the money I receive. It is about the fact that God has given me everything I have. I own nothing. He has given me everything. He gives me the very life that I live, the very breath that I breathe, all the resources that I have at my disposal, everything I have has been given to me by God. And once I understand that, then any subject along this line makes it easy. Now, the key is what? I have to believe that. You heard me say it. and You have to believe it, that every single thing you and I have has been given to us by God, even if you don't believe in God. It doesn't matter. Everything you have given to you by him. You may not believe that. You may not embrace that. You may not want to admit that. But the very life that you have, the very breath that you believe, breathe, everything you have has been given to you by God. And all he wants us to do is to manage it well, to be good stewards of what he has entrusted into our care. It's not what I have. It's what he has given me and what I'm doing with what he's entrusted into my care. Now, I'm smart enough to know that in the last 40 years of ministry, when you hear subjects on money, there have been a ton of abuses on it. All kinds of stories of pastors misusing and churches misusing. And one in Pittsburgh where somebody, or the near the Pittsburgh area, where somebody misused a million point two five dollars. That's a lot of misuse. And pastors have abused that and gone on expensive vacations on the church. I mean, the list is endless. I remember years and years and years ago, a friend of mine who is an author today, we were going to a Billy Graham conference down south, and on the way back, he said, hey, we got to stop at this Jim and Tammy Baker thing. He said, it's just something you got to see to believe, and I'm telling you, it's something you got to see to believe in what it was, and it was a a Christian Disneyland, 
And then you come to find out that so much of that had been abused and so many people have been taken advantage of and so many things have been done wrong. Uh, fast forward in an unbelievable small world occurrence after he was in jail, wrote a book about this that Jim Baker did called I Was Wrong. You'll never guess who the author was. The very guy that I went with down in Florida to this conference who said to me, you got to go. He subtitled it under Ken Abraham. When you look at those kinds of abuses, it's easy to see why people get skeptical. But if Jesus only had three years of ministry, three years, I've been here 24 and a half years, 23 and a half years. So I've been able to address a number of subjects. Jesus had three years here on this earth to address a number of subjects. If you'd have been in his shoes, if you'd have been a pastor in his shoes knowing, I got three years, what are the things you think you would have talked about? What are the issues you would have addressed? And if he thought that was that important, certainly why would I ever avoid just because of abuses of other people or other ministries? There's a question that I have for you in your sermon notes. What if we never had? I mean, what if we never had a financial need? What if our building was paid off? I mean, look at this amazing gift that God has given us. What if it was all paid off? We never owed a dime on anything. Would we still preach on stewardship and money? What would your answer be? Yes. Why? Because it's a biblical principle. Because it's a biblical principle. You see, somewhere along the way in your notes, we've gotten a mistaken idea that our giving is a way of financing the church and its ministries instead of an act of worship and my response to God's goodness. You come to church on Sunday morning, we talk about worship and the opportunity to worship God. I hope you enjoyed the worship, right? That's a phrase we use a lot of the times. And not in a misleading kind of way. But somehow we have put worship within the context of what happens here on the stage on a Sunday morning. And so I worship God by singing and celebrating or listening or enjoying. And we talk about worship music. We call it worship music and all of those kind of things. So that somehow we get the idea that this 25 minutes is worship and other things take place through that hour and three minutes that we're here on a Sunday morning. But every single aspect of it is worship. I worship God by my singing. I worship God by giving my gifts, as many of them on the stage here did this morning. I worship God by what I give in the offering plate. I worship God by what I observe out of his word. I worship God by listening to his word. I worship God by obedience to his word. I worship God beyond what happens on a Sunday morning. When I'm singing, when I'm leading, when I'm sharing, when I'm talking, when when I'm living my life. When I get up in the morning and recognize the goodness and grace of God. When I get up yesterday and realize it's going to be 68 degrees today here in Pennsylvania. This is a good day. (laughs) And when I realize this afternoon could be 71 degrees, this is a really good day. Exactly. On the Harley. (laughs) Had the privilege of teaching a class this week at Grove City College and, and loved it. And it was on leadership, and I had a lot of information they wanted me to share. And then they had an opportunity to ask a lot of questions. And some of these college students asked phenomenally good questions. Every single one of them were wonderful questions from some of these students. And the list was endless. How do you decide between stewardship and, uh, and what I have? How do you decide between being a doormat and a servant leader, which is really great? How as a pastor do you spend your Sabbath? What does your Sabbath look like, one of the girls asked me. And I said, well, it looks an awful lot like a Harley Davidson. <laughs> Not quite sure how you're going to receive that, or what, but it looks a lot like that. All that we do, every aspect of what we experience, our life is a worship experience given to us 
by God and opportunities to respond to that in a variety of things that we do in our life. Unfortunately, through the years in your notes, what we do in our giving has been seen as an obligation instead of an opportunity. It's been seen as an obligation instead of an opportunity. An investment opportunity with the highest yield. Jesus said, where your treasure is, what? There your heart's going to be. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. I can read your heart by watching what you invest in. What you do with your time, what you do with your talents, what you do with your abilities, what you do with the resources I've entrusted into your hands. I can tell exactly where your heart is. You hang around people long enough, you, you walk with people long enough, you know what's important to them. You can see that, or you can sense that. Jesus said, I, I can see it, I can tell. You need to understand, it's always been an issue in your notes of the heart. It has always been an issue of lordship. Is God number one in our life or not? If he is, one of the places that it shows up is in our giving or what we do with the resources he's entrusted into our care. All things started back in the, in the beginning of time between Adam and Eve and specifically Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. Abel was a shepherd, Cain was a farmer, a crop grower. When it came time to offer their sacrifices to God, Abel brought his best from the herd and offered it to God as a sacrifice. Cain brought some of the fruit. Genesis 4.3 said the Lord accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's. Why? Because God liked meat more than vegetables? I mean, you can't go home and say to your kids, see, God doesn't like vegetables either. So you don't have to eat yours. It had nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with the fact that God liked meat better than vegetables. It had to do everything with Abel's heart and Cain's heart. Abel was giving his best. Abel was acknowledging, God, you have given me everything. And I'm acknowledging that by giving you my best. Cain, leftovers. Had nothing to do <coughs> with what he gave. Had everything to do with his heart. The foundation of giving is, out of the Old Testament as well, is 10%. 10% of what I receive, I, I give. It comes from Genesis. Well, before the Ten Commandments, we say, well, we don't live under the law anymore. 10% was well before the law was established. 10% comes from Genesis where Abraham gave 10% of his receiving what he had received to Melchizedek, the high priest. He then passed that on to his family. So that Isaac did it. Jacob specifically did it in Genesis 26. Malachi chapter 3, God says, I just need you to understand you're robbing me by not bringing me the actual 10%. And again, it had to be done not so much out of duty or obligation, but acknowledgement of my gratitude toward God and my acknowledgement that the Lord is number one in my life. The starting point is 10% because in their world, 10% represented the whole. Because they realized by that, God had given them the whole. That everything they had came from the hand of Almighty God. And my 10% represent my acknowledgement of that fact. It wasn't specifically about the amount, although it talks obviously about it. It was about my acknowledgement of that fact. And by my giving of that 10%, I've acknowledged that I recognize that God has given me everything. It's always been an issue with the heart. Now, just in case they didn't understand it from the Old Testament perspective... God walks right in the middle of their world in the form of Jesus 
and addresses it and expresses it again and again and again. It seems to be they needed a lot of lessons to understand it. We're going to walk with Jesus for a few minutes. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12. We're going to go back to Luke, so stay with me. I hope you got your word. It's going to be on the screen. I know. We're in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. These are familiar stories, but I want to read them to you. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. I love that sound of people turning the word. Jesus sat down in an opposite place where the offerings were being put, and he watched the crowd. Wouldn't that be interesting if Jesus just sat over there in a corner somewhere and watched us? All right, Jesus sat in the opposite place where the offerings were put in, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the treasury offering, temple treasury. A lot of rich people threw in a large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth just a few cents. Jesus took an opportunity to teach his disciples a lesson in all those contexts. Everything in life is a, is a lesson to be learned. He called his disciples to him and he said this. Look, truly I say to you, that poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. Now, if they're sitting there doing the math, they're going, Jesus, you really don't understand math very well. Because it said they gave in a significant amount. And we saw what she gave in, a couple of pennies. Jesus said, it's nothing to do with that. They gave out of their wealth, she out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live in. Was it an issue of money? Was it an issue of the amount? Not at all. It was an issue of the heart. Another story, back a couple of pages to Mark chapter 10. Jesus was on his way to another place. A man ran up to him, fell on his knees, and said, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus would have, you would have thought, brought out a booklet like this and began to walk through. He didn't. He knew there was a deeper issue than that. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, let me ask you, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Shouldn't murder, shouldn't commit adultery, shouldn't steal, shouldn't give false testimony, shouldn't defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these things that I have kept, I have kept them since I was a boy. Isn't there a part of you wants to say, really? All of them. You've kept them all. So he's admitting to that. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then you can come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Again, in this story, was it about ministering to the poor? Was it about ministering to the poor? No. It was an issue of the heart. Prior to Jesus' death, when Mary came and anointed Jesus, we're going to talk about it, the events that lead up to that over the next few weeks. There was one experience, actually if you look in Scripture, there are two particular times, one near the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he went to the cross. And Mary came in and anointed Jesus. They broke the perfume over him, if you know anything about the story, and it kind of poured down over him in a radiance. It was her expression of love, her expression of gratitude toward a Savior who had changed her life forever. When that happened, the disciples were upset and, and, and they said, you know, that, that should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. So go back to the story before that. Was it again an issue of the poor? No, it was an issue of the heart. Turn to Luke chapter 12. 
Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Luke chapter 12, beginning of verse 13, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Wouldn't you have love having Jesus as your mediator when it comes to family experiences like that? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said, man who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you, why would I do that? And then he said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So he knew there was something deeper than that. Life doesn't consist of the abundance of possessions. You've got to underline that somewhere. Life doesn't consist of the abundance of possessions. The man with the most toys wins is not true. Life doesn't consist of an abundance of possession. And then he told him a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Thought to himself, what do I do? I've got no place to store my crops. Then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and then I will store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God just said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is going to be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is, how you'll be, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Does that mean you can't plan? No. Does that mean you shouldn't save? No, not at all. It's an issue of the heart, because in this case, this man was doing it all for himself. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus said, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves can rob. Store up treasures in heaven. Well, how do I do that? How do I, what he says here in this particular section in Matthew cha- or Luke chapter 12, how, how do I make myself rich toward God? How do I store up treasures in heaven? Well, obviously his answer would be, you invest in the kingdom. You understand what has been entrusted into your hands and they use it wisely and you use it well. Jesus was saying over and over and over again in the New Testament in his three years of ministry, speaking on this subject more than anything else, that what I do with my resources, what I do with my time, what I do with my talents, what I do with the financial resources God has entrusted in my care says a lot about my values, my priorities, my understanding of stewardship, that he has given me everything, And the condition of my heart. And so he gives me the glorious opportunity to invest in his kingdom. Which to be honest with you is a great opportunity. I'm now 65 years old. And for the last two years all I've gotten is things from AARP and retirement for Medicare. I mean, right? I mean, isn't it amazing? It's like where were you for 10 years and all of a sudden they found me. And I've been getting more things. You've got to invest in this. You've got to have a million dollars to retire, which, by the way, I don't. I'm toast in regards to that. You know, the list is endless of all the things they have to say. And, and then they say, if you're younger than that, you, you confess in these things. You've got, you've got a high return. You're going to get a higher return so that when you retire, you're ready for this, and the list is endless. What I love about this is 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave us the greatest investment plan in time. He says, you want to re- return with the highest yield? You want to be able to do that has the highest return on it? Invest your time, your talent, your treasure, your resources into my hand. And the principle goes way beyond money. When we hear any subject along this line, we automatically think money. It's way more than that. I want you to invest it into my kingdom, into people, into ministries, and using it wisely and using it well. 
Now, what's interesting about this, when I sensed this a number of weeks ago, and knowing what we were going to be in in a series, I went immediately to Matthew chapter 25, which is where I want you to turn. But then a few weeks ago, when Jim and Kathy were up here, they talked about the exact same section of Scripture. Because they too understood that for those of us who are part of God's family, investing into the kingdom is one of the greatest returns we'll ever get in a lifetime. In their case, they physically invested themselves by going, they're asking us to invest our resources into supporting and encouraging and walking with them in that process. They went back to Matthew 25. Again, now he's used that phrase a lot. He's trying to help them understand the value of time, the value of resources. And so he says, I'm gonna, it's almost as if he said, I'm going to say it in as many ways as I can. Again, it will be like a man going on a long journey. He's talking about the end of time. Who called his servants and entrusted them with his wealth. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five bags of gold went out at once, put his money to work, gained five more. The one who had two gained two more. The one who received one dug a hole, kept it, hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of their servants returned to settle accounts. The man who received five bags of gold brought it. He said, Master, you entrusted me with this. This is what I've done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share my inheritance. Enjoy your master's happiness. The one who had two also came. You entrusted me with this. This is what I've done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. If you've been to a Christian funeral, one of the phrases you often hear someone say, a pastor specifically, me or whoever's doing it, about the individual who's passed on that they just heard from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, many times we're referring to what Paul said when he said, I finished the fight, I've lived it well, I've done my best, and now I'm going to inherit the kingdom. The phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, comes from this particular context. That you understood the principles of stewardship. You understood what I gave you. You understood the amount of time, whether it's 10 years or 100 years. You understood the value of the talents and the abilities that I've given you. You've understood the context of the resources I've entrusted into your care. You've used them wisely. You've used them really well. Now, your time is done here on this earth because you've only got so much. And I'm going to now take you home. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You use wisely and well all the things that I've entrusted into your care. This is near the end of Jesus' ministry. He's the master. And he's given you and I a certain amount of time, a certain amount of treasure, and a certain amount of talent to use for his glory. But because he's God, he has the right to give to certain individuals whatever he wants. Whatever he wants to whomever he wants to give it, he does. Each of us have a certain amount of time on this earth. Moses said in Psalm 90, God, teach us to number our days. Not going to be 100, not going to be 10 or 1,000. It's not going to be 180. It's going to be a limited amount of time. So teach us to use our time wisely. The Apostle Paul said the same thing. Make, make the most of the time that's been entrusted to your care. Invest in things that have eternal significance. Every one of us have been getting of a certain amount of talents. Some have more than others. Don't be jealous about what others have or be envious about what you don't have. Use wisely and well what you do have. You get that phrase? Do not be jealous about what others have or be envious about what you don't have. Use wisely and well what you do have. 
That's what the end of this parable is all about. I used to have a talent to play trumpet. Did you know that? Let me tell you, I used to have the talent to play trumpet. But I, I gave it up, quit it. My wife kept my lips in shape, but nothing else happened after that. <laughs> and I ended up not being it. I couldn't today if you paid me $1,000 right now. No way I could do it at all. God had given it to me. I quit it. I lost it. I don't have it anymore. The talents that God has given us and invested into his care, invested into our care, are used to serve him in a variety of ways. It could be teaching a class, playing an instrument, serving a meal, ministering to people, leading a small group, supporting a ministry, doing a service project, serving the community. The list is endless. To every single one of us is given a certain amount of time, a certain amount of abilities, a certain amount of resources. And scripture says we're required to invest it wisely and well in his kingdom, in ministries, in people, and the more you've been given, the more you're able to give. So the question always is in your sermon notes, what have I done or what am I doing, maybe is a better way, with what he has given me? Now, I could have said, what have I done with what I have? The issue is, what am I doing with what he has given me? It's an acknowledgement right, boy, right away by the question that I understand he has given it to me. And it's not mine. There are a lot of people who get it and understand this. Sadly enough, usually what they say is 20% of the people give 80% of the income, 20% of the people in a ministry in a church do 80% of the work, the list is endless. What am I doing with what he has entrusted into my care? Now, every single Sunday morning, we have an offering plate that goes by. And, and, and whether you, and I'm just going to say it like I've been saying everything over the last few weeks. If you totally don't even notice that the guy beside you or the lady beside you doesn't put anything in you do, and you don't think a thing about that, that's awesome. But there are some churches where some people do think about the fact that I put something in and they didn't. I wonder why. Now, what sometimes we forget is that in our context, 20%, 26% of our income comes online so that you never notice that. Some of our people give once every other week. Some people give once a month. Some people give at a different time. And my, my point is, don't make an assumption that you know what they're doing or what they've done with their resources just simply by what you see in that offering plate on a Sunday morning. When I went to my first church as a solo pastor, they didn't tell me anything other than the fact that on a Sunday morning there are three envelopes that come in the offering plate. One is for missions, one is for operating, one is for the pastor. I said, to do what with? What's your income? I went, What? Yeah, at the end of the service, we, the treasurer takes one and they send them off to missions. The other one takes the bills of the church and the other one you, you have to account for. So I, and I don't know, I may have told you this and I don't want this to go beyond this service here. But I took them home and I opened them up and I thought, so this is my income. This is how I get paid. Yeah, that's how you get paid. I said to my wife, we are in the money. This is unbelievable. I mean, we went from this small amount where that church, church owed me, a, owed me a, a, an apology uh, for what I was being paid in my first setting to what I'm getting now. And I thought, this is, uh, babe, uh, you can't even imagine what God has done here and how he has blessed us with this. So second Sunday, she does the same things, a little bit less. Third Sunday, she does the same things, a little bit less. By the fourth Sunday, it's really a lot less, like hardly enough to get through the week. And I'm thinking, how in the world could I be that bad in four sermons? <laughs> you know, I mean, how, how could that happen? 
And so I said something to the treasurer. She said, oh, I forgot to tell you, most people give once a month. And you happen to show up for your first Sunday on the first Sunday of the month. I said, that would have been nice to know before I spent it. And sometimes we forget. Sometimes we just need reminders. And that church was one of the most amazing churches I've ever been a part of in my life. I mean, one guy who couldn't give a lot every single Sunday morning, I would walk out on my porch on Sunday morning, and there would be a gallon of milk and a dozen eggs. I mean, the list was endless of those kind of things that God provided in different ways. I have been entrusted, you have been entrusted, with a certain amount of time on this earth, and you have no idea how long it's going to be. Neighbor and I were talking yesterday who doesn't go to our church. He said, man, I can't believe all the funerals you've done for people our age. And he's pointing to both of us. And I said, I know. All of a sudden you realize how precious and valuable time is and a resource that God has entrusted into your care. We've been given a certain amount of talents and abilities to be used for the glory of God. We've been entrusted with resources. What am I doing with what has been trusted into my care? And if I really do clearly understand that every single thing I have comes to me from Almighty God. It is a pleasure to respond back. But if I don't get that, I'm going to debate this issue forever and I'm going to hold on to it as tightly as I can. What are you and I doing? What are we doing with what He has entrusted into our care? Question we'll all have to answer. Father, I thank you for your word. You are so honest. I know I say it every Sunday, but you really are. You deal with some fascinating subjects. You deal with some tough issues. You deal with things that you know are going to impact us emotionally and relationally and uh, theologically. You, you, you tell us how to live the life that you've called us to. You remind us again of everything that we have that has come from you. And so, Father, continue to help us to use it wisely and well. It's been entrusted into our care. This church is incredible. I mean, the blessing we've received, the, the way people use their gifts, well beyond the 2080, and I love being a part of this church family. But for those of us who are still wrestling with that issue and some who just can't figure out uh, what this means, I trust that you will continue to bring them into your word, and by the power of your spirit, you will reveal to them what they need to understand, what you have wonderfully, lavishly entrusted into our care so that we use it wisely and use it well until we see you face to face, which all of us will. Bless us, continue to walk with us, pray for family experience. It'll be a great time of growing in you for all of these families. We love you, we thank you for loving us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Family experience, 10 minutes from now. I can pray for you in any way, love to do that. God bless you, have a great, great day.